Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Today I'm going to talk about chapters 4 through 6 of Revelation. Talk about a ride. John the Apostle got to be transported to heaven. I mean, there's only a few people in the Bible that got to do that. Uh, The other one was Paul. He said, I was transported to the third heaven, which is the highest heaven. And John, the only other person I can think of is Elijah, but he didn't come back to tell us what he saw. He was just taken up there. And all those are really, to me, a picture of what's going to happen to the believer as we're raptured to be with Christ. And as I'm thinking about this ride, I'm thinking about Disneyland What's your favorite ride at Disneyland? Because my favorite ride at Disneyland was Space Mountain. And here's why. First of all, it was very smooth. It wasn't rickety and, you know, messed up your back or anything. It was a really smooth roller coaster. And then the other thing, you're in the dark most of the time. You go in the dark, you go through all the loops and the drops and everything. And at the very end, you finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you come through there. And the first time I went through there, I didn't know what to expect through that ride. And then the next time I said, I want to go on that ride a lot because you know what to expect. Even though you're in the dark, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, let me tell you this. Revelation, the book of Revelation is the light at the end of the tunnel. Because it's not a coincidence that it's the last book in the canon, in the biblical canon, in scriptures, because it transports us to a place that's beyond this earth. Can you wait to get there? I can't wait to get there. We live in a time of stress, and we need the light of Jesus Christ, the light at the end of the tunnel. We want to see Jesus as John does. So as we go through this chapter today, let me just remind you about what I talked about the last couple of weeks. Revelation can be a scary book to go through because people go, what is it? How does all the image and the symbols and all that mean? But let me tell you, it's not that scary if you follow the instructions. Okay, so the instructions are in Revelation 119. Jesus tells John to write three sections, the things seen, the things which are, and things to come. Chapter one is the things seen. That's Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapters two through three are the things which are, which is the church age. I talked about that last week. We live in the church age, the age of grace. Now we're moving on to the last section of the outline, the instructions, the things to come. So we're in Act 3 of Revelation, and it's the longest part of the book, and it begins with the rapture. And the rapture occurs after the church age. What that means is we're living in the church age, which began when Jesus ascended into heaven. It's the last days. The end time, it's been going on for a while. The signs are speeding up, and then Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to take his church to be with him, and then there's going to be a seven-year period of the Great Tribulation period, and then Jesus will come back again at that time and then judge the earth. We are living in the age of grace. And here's what I want to tell you. If 2020 has freaked you out, you don't want to be here during the Great Tribulation. You want to be there with Christ. Chapter 4 transitions from what's happening on earth to what's happening in heaven. And it begins with this. So grab your Bible. We're going to go through the scriptures in the Bible. 
And we're going to start with Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And how does it begin? After these things, I look, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. After these things. What things? Well, the things that just happened in the church age. So after the end of the church age, which we are currently in the church age, it'll end. I heard a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here. That's Jesus. And I will show you what must take place after these things. Jesus says it twice. After what things? This church age. Chapters 2 and 3, which we're living in. Now, there exists a difference of agreement with theologians regarding the interpretation of Revelation. And that's fine, as long as you have Scripture to back you up. So some people would see the events fulfilled during the Roman Empire. So all the stuff that happens in Revelation, all the way through the end of Revelation, they say has been fulfilled in the Roman Empire. That would be the preterist view. Then there's some who see the events of being fulfilled throughout history and are currently being fulfilled. That would be the historical view. And then there's others who see the events as futuristic, to be fulfilled in the future. Now, I see all aspects of all three, because chapters 2 and 3 are historical and preterist, but chapter 4 through 22 are futuristic. And here's the other part we have to think about. God does not live within the confines of time. He lives outside of time. So when I say futuristic, that's for us. All the stuff that we're going to talk about today has happened, is happening, and will happen. It's just we're not experiencing yet because we're confined to time. So John was transported out of time. Think about that. That's amazing. John was transported out of time from this earth, and he saw things that were amazing. And it all begins with Jesus saying, John, come up here. I can't wait for Jesus to say, David, come up here. Those words I look forward to. And so what we see here is a picture of the rapture. We will be like John. We will be transported out of time, beyond time, beyond this earth, to another place. And the trumpet will sound and Jesus will say, come up here. First Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks specifically of the rapture. Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain on this earth will be caught up together, that word raptura in Latin, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So notice the similarities between what Paul is saying will happen and what happened to John. First of all, there's a trumpet. In both occurrences, a trumpet will sound and we will be called to be with Jesus and all the other believers before us. And for those who have died previously to this event, they will be there already. But now their bodies will rise with them and be transformed into a new heavenly body which is called the redemption of our bodies, which is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that quick, the last trumpet, that's God's trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. We will receive a new imperishable body where there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more grief. Everything will be the way that it's meant to be. But until then, we live in an earth that's fallen, but we look forward to this new place that God wants to transport us to. So let's read about what John sees while he's up there. Again, I'll go back to chapter 4. After these things, I looked, and there's a door standing open. And the first voice, or the sound of a trumpet, calls John up, come up after these things. Immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne. Thirteen times in chapter 4, the word throne appears. That is the center of activity. So that's what John sees, a throne. And there's one sitting on the throne. Now, John is having a hard time describing this. He's using what we would understand, and he's thinking he's seen colors. And he says, he was like a jasper stone, which is a greenish stone, and a sardius, which is a ruby, a red stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And what that rainbow, I think, represents is the everlasting covenant that God has made with his people. Then verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon those thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now, we don't know for sure if these are human elders or angelic elders. But what we do know is 24 completes the circle of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles for the church. And then verse 5, out from the throne came flashes of lightning. Now he's hearing and he's trying to explain. It's like peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps burning at the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That means the seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. So we see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass. Again, he's having a hard time explaining this. Like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures. Now these creatures, we don't know what they really look like. The word is interesting in Greek. It would literally mean life forms or living beings. I like that better than creatures. Can we think of creatures as a weird word? But they're living beings. And check this out, full of eyes in front and behind. So that means they're all seeing. And the fact that they're around the throne of God means that they're attending to God. And I would say that these are the four most important creatures or living beings in heaven because they get to attend to the living God. And then he goes on. The first creature was like a lion, second like a calf, third creature like the face of a man, and the fourth creature like a flying eagle. I think that means they're representing all of God's created beings. And the four living beings, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within and day and night. This is what they do. So they attend to God at the throne. They have all eyes, but guess where their eyes are focused? They do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We might be the four most important beings in heaven, but there's no being, no person, nothing, no one more important than him seated on the throne. That's where their eyes are focused, all their eyes. 
And when the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him and sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever. And they cast their crowns before him saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will, they existed and were created. Wow, that's a worship service I want to be a part of. We're going to experience this. The second thing, the rapture is the prelude to the great tribulation. Now, there's a reason why chapter 4 is where it is. Because what's happening now, the book shifts to heaven, what's going on there, and it stays there, chapter 5, and then it's going to switch between heaven and earth. What's going on? That's the cool thing about this book. And chapter 4 and 5 are the prelude to chapter 6, which is the beginning of the wrath of the Lamb, the day of the Lord. So what my view is, how I'm going through this, is called a pre-trib view, a pre-tribulation view of the rapture, meaning that I believe that the rapture happens before the great tribulation. Now, I have to say this with a little caveat. I believed that up until 2020. And now I'm going, whoa, are we in the great tribulation? No, I still believe that. Now, there are other views. There's the view that the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation period. I respect that view, but there's one thing that they use. They use the trumpet in chapter 6, but it's confusing to me because they're saying that that trumpet is the call, but that trumpet is an angel blowing that trumpet. It's not the trumpet of God. The trumpet of God is who calls us to go be with him. Then there's the view at the end of the tribulation. I don't know about that view. Like the church would be raptured at the end of the tribulation. It would mean that we would go through it. And then all of a sudden we would be raptured and then we would come back around. But here's the main thing that I want to say about this. The reason that I believe the pre-trib aligns best with scripture is first, that God tells us that we will not experience his wrath, but we will experience his salvation. Secondly, and this is really important, up till chapter 3, the word church, ecclesia, is used multiple times. That stops at 4 and doesn't come about again till 19 at the second coming of Jesus. The whole time between 4 and 19, the church is not mentioned. And here's the most important thing why I believe the Great Tribulation will happen after the church is raptured. Because the Great Tribulation is the 70th week of Daniel, where Daniel is given the prophecy, there's 69 weeks or 69 sevens, and then the 70th seven, which is a span of seven years, is coming in the future. And here's the important thing about what's supposed to happen during that last seven. Israel will be redeemed. I believe that scripture is clearly pointing out that the church will be raptured before the great tribulation because the great tribulation is not meant for the church. The great tribulation is meant for two things, redemption of Israel and the judgment of the unbelieving world. So that's why I propose that a pre-tribulation view is most scriptural. Now chapter 4 Again, his, uh, what's happening in heaven, the church is with Jesus, 
we're worshiping with the angels and all those creatures, the living beings. It's awesome. And then chapter 5 is a transitional chapter, but it's very important because chapter 5 deals with a scroll and seven seals on that scroll. Look at Revelation 5 verse 1. I saw in his right hand a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. So chapter 4 ends with the incredible worship service. John looks over and he sees a scroll in the hand of God. And it's sealed up with seven seals. Now people would understand during that time that this scroll represented some type of contract, a legal contract or a deed. In this case, it's likely a deed. And the inside would contain the details of the deed, which would be sealed for security purposes. And the more seals, the more important the document. Now, in this case, seven is the number of completion. So there's seven seals, and each seal is unwrapped during the Great Tribulation and is a judgment towards the earth. And guess what? As in any deed, only the owner of the deed has the privilege to open it. What's going on here? Let's continue with chapter 5. He sees the book, the scroll, seal with seven seals, and verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open this scroll and its seals? In one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And they looked around, and no one in heaven or earth was able to open this. And then verse 4, I, John, began to weep because no one was found worthy to open that. But verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping! Behold! Look over there! The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, from the root of David, he has overcome, and he can open the book Hallelujah, right? So everyone's like, wow, that's amazing. We're not stuck. There's someone who can open this. And then I saw between the throne with the four living beings and the elders, and now he sees a lamb. He sees a lion and a lamb standing as if, as if slain. That's important. As if slain. And he had seven horns and seven eyes. Now let me tell you, seven horns would mean complete sovereign power, and seven eyes would mean complete sovereign sight. Who is he speaking of? Jesus, the Christ, the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. And he came. Picture this. If you're watching a movie, like the music would shift, right? And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him, who sits on the throne. And he took the book, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped before the lamb, each one holding a harp. I hate that word harp. Not that I'm against harpists. I love harpists. But really it's a stringed instrument because people go, oh, I'm just going to sit there and play a harp. No, it's a guitar. And maybe if you're lucky, you get to plug it in and it goes to 11. And golden bowls full of incense. So we have music We have prayer, that's worship, right? Which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, and this is what they sang. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break the seals. You were slain 
Why were you slain? You purchased for God with your blood men, women, human beings from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests of our God and they will reign upon the earth. Hallelujah, right? I mean, that's happening. And Jesus is the only one that can open the scroll because it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And one day, the kingdom of this world, which we are stuck to right now, to be a part of here, we're not of it, we're in it, was handed over. It will become the kingdom of our God. So one of the best verses in all of Revelation is 11.15. Then the seventh angel, so it's the last angel, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And Handel wrote a whole Messiah about that, and he ends with the hallelujah chorus, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You know it? That's what's going on. And then the worship service continues in verses 11 through 14. I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne worshiping myriads and myriads and thousands. So countless creatures and beings and people and angels. And what are they saying? Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth. So everyone everywhere bows down and worships him and says, praise to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living beings kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That's amazing. That's amazing to me. The last thing is that the great tribulation is the great day of wrath. So after this incredible worship service, and this is what's going on, because remember, John lived in a time similar to us. The church is persecuted throughout the world. We're not as persecuted as other areas right now, currently, even though we feel it. But think about John. He's on an island on Patmos, put away, isolated from his friends, his church, his family. And this book is a book of encouragement because we win in the end. But now we're going to see what's going to happen to make that happen, okay? The great tribulation is the great day of wrath. For 2,000 years, God has given us, given you, given people a chance and another chance and another chance, just like in the days of Noah, to repent and turn to him by believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and worshiping him, the one who sits on the throne. But like the days of Noah, the chance to repent will end and you will be judged if you are outside of Christ. If you are in Christ, by faith in Christ, then you're going to experience the worship service. So chapter 6 begins with the releasing of the four horsemen. I'm not going to get into details. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, which represent war, famine, and death. But the first horse is a white horse, and that person sitting on it is not Jesus. This is chapter 6. Jesus on the white horse comes in 19. This is Satan incarnate, the beast, 
the Antichrist, the charismatic world leader who will captivate the world. He will rule over the world as a dictating tyrant, demanding worship of himself. And he'll come on the scene as a person of peace, and he will bring peace. But in the middle of that seven-year period, all hell will break loose because he'll show us true colors. We're going to talk more about him later. But the four horsemen represent four of those seals on the scroll. So let's pick up with seal number five. So let's go to chapter six, verse nine. So this is the fifth seal. So when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimonies where they had maintained. So John, as he's looking around, he now sees a myriad of souls, people who have passed away and gone to be with Jesus. And where are they? They're underneath the altar and they have been slain. They have been killed and murdered because of their faith in Christ. So this is the persecuted church. And they cry out in a loud voice saying, and this is important, don't miss this. They ask God, how long, O Lord? How long are you going to refrain from judging and avenging our blood? That's the question a lot of people ask, right? When is God going to balance the scales? When is God going to make all things right? When is God going to judge all evil? Well, it's going to happen. In verse 11, And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest just a little while longer, until the number of fellow servants and brothers who are to be killed would be complete. So what's happening? This is the persecuted church, the persecuted believers on the face of the planet. God will judge their avengers. Now, what does that cause to happen? Verse 12, I looked and he broke the sixth seal and there was great earthquakes and the sun was black and the moon was red like blood and the stars fell to the earth. And the sky was split apart. Why is this happening? Because God is judging the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I don't want anyone to go through that. But it's going to happen. And the sky was split apart. And the kings of the earth and all the great people who rejected God because they were way more important than anybody else. They didn't want to bow down as the four living creatures and everybody else. They wanted to be their own God. What happens? They try to hide, but it's too late. And they say, they speak to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne because we're going to experience the wrath of the Lamb. And that's even worse. And verse 7 For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That is the day of the Lord, the judgment of God on the face of this planet for those who have rejected his love and forgiveness. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. You can stay out of that place by coming to the place where John is by faith in Christ. Look at this, where it says in verse 6, 17 again uh, of chapter 6, For the great day of their wrath has come, who is able to withstand it. No one is able to withstand that. 
It is the day of God's wrath, the day of the Lord that has been prophesied throughout the whole entire Old Testament is happening. God balances the scales. He has just promised those who are underneath the altar, just rest for a little while longer and your blood will be avenged. Wrong will be made right. And he will take vengeance for his people. So, with all that said, what should be your biggest takeaway from today? Be ready. Be ready. You don't want to be on the wrong end of the day of the Lord. You want to be on the right end of God's day, of the day of redemption. See, this right is not going to end well because there's no light at the end of the tunnel for that one. And if you're on the wrong track, you can get on the right track, people, because we're still in the age of grace. We're still in the church age. How much longer? I don't know. But today, grace is offered instead of justice. Will you accept the grace and forgiveness of God? If you want to do that, bow your heads wherever you are, and you say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to come into my life and be the Lord of my life. Thank you for dying for me on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you paid the penalty so I don't have to. I place my faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not the prayer that saves you. If you prayed that, it's not the prayer. It's the heart of faith. And what happens is you become a new creation and one day you will have a new body and you will be with God in heaven and you will experience the light at the end of this tunnel and you won't have to go through what this rejecting, unbelieving world will have to go through. So let's remember this. No matter how bad it gets, we win in the end. But until then, please, let's not have anyone left behind. Let's tell people the truth the truth of the good news of the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-